Thank you, thank you. Well, an interesting thing happened to me on the way to the gym this week. Um, so I hop in the car, and immediately when I close the car door, I hear crickets. It sounds like crickets to me, and I'm thinking, okay, this is inside the car. I didn't leave the windows down. This is weird, and my personality, I need to figure stuff out, and so I, like, start banging on the dashboard and kind of, you know, I think even opened the hood, and I'm looking for crickets, and it sounded like a lot of crickets, actually, and so just weird, and then I get back in the car, and I go, okay, wait a second, this isn't, this sounds more mechanical than it does, like, crickets. It's like this constant cricket sound, and, you know, crickets, they kind of, you hear it a little bit, and then they stop, and they start again, and so I'm thinking, what is up with this car? And I have to understand this car is, uh, Janice and I affectionately call it the college car. Uh, we're trying to get our kids through undergraduate degrees. And so we bought this 10 years ago and we're just bleeding it for all it's worth. And so about every month it has a new little noise of some kind. It's got a new little light that comes on and a new noise. And I'm just, feels like it's kind of limping along. And so I'm going, oh, another thing here that's going on with this car. And so I sit in there, and it's just this constant mechanic. I'm going, how is it? I haven't even turned the car on yet. And so I'm thinking, how has it not drained the battery for this sound, you know? And so anyway, I was running late, so I turned it on. It didn't change the sound at all. And I thought, well, certainly by the time I get to the gym, you know, if it's really crickets, they'll like have dropped out, you know, and, and maybe it'll just stop. Or when I stop the car, when I get to the gym, it'll, if it's mechanical, it'll stop. And so I'm thinking all these things and, and I get to the gym and I turn it off and it's still sounding like crickets. And, and so I hop out of the car, start walking into the gym. So I'm just going to mess with that later. And all of a sudden the cricket sound is with me. And so I'm thinking, how is this possible? So I, I pull my phone out, and I have this sound machine app on my phone that Janice and I use for just white noise, you know, at like hotels and that kind of stuff. Somehow, the app had opened, scrolled down to cricket sounds, and was, was on, and now... I tried to get back on there this morning to tell you what it sounded like, and I can't even find it anymore. <laughs> perspective. How we interpret a thing depends on what perspective we view. Now, some of you are already going, oh, dear. It started. He's losing his mind. Um, but we, you know, I, I was interpreting things based on I thought it was the car, based on I thought it was crickets, based on I thought you know, what in the world's going wrong with me? I'm losing my mind. And it's brought me to this idea of perspective. Now, we have a lot of things going on in the culture right now. We've got this Supreme Court judgment that everybody's a buzz about. We've got the, this hate crime that has just brought this uh, unspeakable kind of horror where it's like, is this 50 years ago? Is this 100 years? What is going on here? And we're also entering into an election season, which is just a beautiful thing, right? Um, and so we will hear every single one of the candidates, when they get center stage, they will make it absolutely clear that what they think and believe about our country and the way our country should be run is absolutely the best way. Now, right now, even other people in their own party have it all wrong. 
which amazing things will happen after the primaries, then they will all start agreeing on everything. And that, then it'll be the other people on the other side of the aisle that were totally right, they're totally wrong. And if you don't vote for me, the world as we know it will come to an end um, almost immediately. And so we live in this kind of stuff. Now, when these kind of things happen in the world, when we have stuff that happens that seemingly is outside of our control, we have a tendency to lose perspective. We get confused about what's happening. When we begin to lose perspective on things, we, it kind of throws us into this need to gain a greater sense of control in life. And when we start getting this need to get a greater sense of control in life, we pretty quickly realize, I'm not in control of a whole lot, um, which sends us into fear. And when we start getting into fear, we humans think and do really stupid, crazy things. That's the technical term for it. We, we do crazy stuff. And so the reality is this kind of stuff that's going on has been going on for generations and truly centuries. The wonderful thing about the scriptural story is that we see that this is kind of the human experience over at least 6,000 years or so that we see that mankind goes through these challenges and difficulties and how we relate to God, how we relate to each other. And and it is something that's been going on. And it's obvious to us as we look at Scripture that God's response is certainly that he cares about our particular situation. But he's actually much more concerned that he is in the middle of our situation. Not so much that our life is just easy peasy, that everything just goes easy and, and without any kind of difficult, that he wants to be in the midst of us. As counselors, we deal with very difficult situations every day. People are dealing with pretty, a lot of desperation and frustration and hurt and all kinds of things. And what we have seen consistently over time is that if people are open to it and lean into it and are listening for it, that God is there in the midst of them. Um, even if their situation doesn't immediately change, that he is there. So we're going to look for a few moments today at at the story of God and his people. We're going to look at a few stories of, of that happen in Scripture. These are going to be stories that you've probably heard before. But we want to take a look at them in a little bit of a unique way today. There are um, different lenses that you can look through when you look at the story of Scripture. Now, this is not the only way to look at Scripture, so we don't want to come up with a prescription here about this. But, but we're going to look at what is the practical Evidence, or the how is this impacting the individuals on a practical level? And then what's the deeper level? What's it saying to the individuals about themselves and about who they are and who God is? And then the redemptive level. What, what is God wanting to say to the whole world? What is he wanting to do through these situations and circumstances and, and move through them and, and go into the world? So we're going to take a look at those real quick. Um, Some of the stories, particularly of Jesus and his followers at the time. The first one we're going to jump into is John 9, 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? They demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Now this story continues and the Pharisees, the leaders of the culture at the time were were um, trying to find something against Jesus and something that he was doing wrong. And so they got all caught up on the fact that Jesus did this on the Sabbath. And so therefore he must have sinned because he had done that. Now talk about losing perspective. Uh, This guy had been blind since birth and now he can see. And now we're going to focus on did he follow all of the rules? Did he get everything done just right? I wonder how often we've done that. Is somebody following the rules just right? Are they doing it the way that we thought it was always to be done? Now, of course, they continued to argue. They even argue with the man. And then later on in John 9, the guy goes, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now, the Pharisees go on and argue about this some more and And yet we see that this amazing healing really impacts us on many levels. First of all, the practical, he can see again. And in that culture, if you were blind, you pretty much were relegated to just begging on the side of the road. And so not only now can he see, but his whole life is before him. He has the opportunity to expand into into, uh, areas of life that was not a possibility before. Now, if that was just it, that would have been enough, right? I mean, that would have been a phenomenal story. But there's also a deeper deeper level. Um, he He was released from this shame where he was labeled as a sinner. For you see, in, in the Jewish culture at the time, if somebody was sick or diseased, then it had to be because they had sinned somehow. It had to be because of either something they did or something that their family did. And so he uh, was released from that. Now, Jesus didn't go on and explain this completely. We always want him to explain just a little bit more. Can you unpack this just a little bit more for us? Uh, But in essence, we get this idea that any need that we experience in life is so that God can show up and and do something in the midst of that if we are open to it, that, that, that he steps in to the place of our need. And then we have this redemptive level as well of God's desire to heal people. He wants to bring us out of darkness and things that we don't see clearly and, and things that are, we're blind to. He wants to open our eyes. And so one of the questions is, is, are we open? Are we open to seeing things through different lenses and gaining different perspective on things today? Let's jump into the next one real quick. Um, Mark 5. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
that once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Disciples say, you see the people crowding against you, and yet you ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. The woman had been struggling with this for 12 years, a, a long time. Now, the Talmud is this group of writings that, that talks about the Jewish culture, talks about the law and the ethics and, and the way things work in the center of the Jewish faith. And in the Talmud, there's actually 11 different treatments for this issue of blood. It was, evidently, it was a common thing that people experienced. And there were 11 different treatments. Now, there were, some of them were tonics. Some of them were creams. Some of them were, were the lady who should carry around the ashes of an ostrich egg. And you carry it in linen, something that's linen in the summer, and you put it in something that's cotton for the winter. Try that. Um, <laughs> And obviously she had tried all of these things. She had tried everything and nothing had helped. But the other significant thing that she was dealing with is that she was considered unclean. And she was kept out of the temple. She couldn't go to the gathering space. And the temple was the center of the whole culture. And now she could go close, but she could never come in. I, I wonder who have we considered unclean? By our actions, by our words, or lack of actions? Who have we caused to believe that they were unclean, that could not come to worship, could not come in, into the body because we've considered them as unclean? And you could see the shame that she cured because she was trembling um, when, she was, when she was found out. And so on a practical level, this, has tremendous, this healing has tremendous layers of impact on a practical level. Certainly the bleeding stopped. Something that you can imagine was going on for 12 years that it stopped. And she was brought back to hell. She was reconnected to community. She can go to the temple now. And again, even if that was all it was, that is huge and significant. But there's a deeper level. This, this stigma of being unclean was removed from her. You, you know what it's like. If you're dealing with something for a long period of time, we even do this today. If somebody's like been sick for a while or something, we kind of wonder, well, what's... What's wrong? What's, why is this happening? Or if they go through financial failure, well, did, did they do something wrong? I mean, maybe they're just, or, or you know, maybe they had a serious misstep, you know, financially. What's, uh, we, we, we tend to, to judge. It might even be a sin that we're going through, that it's a recurring thing that we deal with and we get better and then we fall again. And, you know, the shame that is covered that comes on us from that and, and that causes people to shrink back and there's this feeling of despair and defeat and, and um, even self-condemnation and that was removed in her life. And then there's this redemptive level that in essence you don't, you don't have to jump through hoops for God to pay attention to you. You don't have to um, go through all these certain steps and, and, and structures to be able to find healing to, for him to pay attention. And he's never too busy. Even though it seems like sometimes, is he paying attention? Is he listening? That even in the midst of this crowd, um, he stopped. He went to the one. He's never too busy for the one. No matter what's going on, how many people are having to be attended to, he's never too busy for the one. 
we had a situation in our own life um, many years ago. We we have four kids, and Janice and I are one of our commitments is we were gonna we were gonna pay for their undergraduate degrees. And uh, when we made that commitment to each other, little did we know what that actually was gonna mean. Uh, but we thought this was gonna be a great thing that we did. We didn't want them to come out of undergraduate school with debt, and so we committed ourselves to that. And of course, they all chose ORU, and so it was like, okay, um, private school, it's gonna be more expensive, and so, but we're committed to doing this, whatever it takes. And so, so our first Preston, who many of you know, was, is a pastor, planted a church in Nashville, and so um, he participated in this, um, and this deal called, um, it, it was an educational fellowship at ORU of all high school students from around the country uh, that would come in and do these different competitions and stuff. And, and uh, he won many of these competitions. As a matter of fact, he won the preaching competition. They have a preaching competition. Uh, he won the preaching competition four years in a row. And because he had won so much for his school, he was offered this complete tuition for four years um, at ORU. I remember talking like $60,000 kind of thing, okay? Now, he's going to have to pay for his, his housing room board, and, and we thought, okay, we can handle that, and we were like, sweet, this is, God, you were so good, and we committed to doing this, and look how you're showing up, and this is a beautiful thing, and so, uh, so our next comes, comes along, and she's a She's a tax accountant now. She's a CPA, and, and she was one of those that, that her, her, her grade point average was like, I don't know, it was like 4.4 4. 4 out of 4. Okay. I don't know how you do that, okay, but took these advanced classes, and so she had this incredible, and so we we're thinking, this is going to be great. She's going to get these great scholarships, and isn't God good, and, and uh, aren't we great parents? You know, we raised such good kids, and... and uh, and so she's up for these two scholarships, and, and there were two complete ride scholarships. And, and in both cases, the first place, um, one was based on, I can't remember exactly what they're based on now. One was on grade point average. The other one was on something else. She was the number one accounting student. And so we thought this is going to be wonderful. And in both cases, she lost out by like 0.25%, you know, kind of thing. And in both of them, number one gets this $60,000 um, grant, and number two gets zero. And so we're like, oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me on both of these. She's not going to get anything. Now, she got a few other things, but actually out of all our kids, she ended up, had the highest grade point average, ended up getting the, the lowest amount. And so we were like, oh boy. Um, this is going to take a lot of work. So our third and our fourth came along, and, and kind of similar kinds of things happened for them. And so, so we kept moving on, and we are, as I told you, we're within one year now um, of our baby being, uh, from graduating. And we look back the other day, and sometimes it's just not good to calculate these things. Um, <laughs> but we look back and added up what we've paid ORU um, over these last 16 years of college tuition. Um, and we're like, how did, how is that, how did we do that? Um, it was, it still is, we don't know how it was done. Um, but it took a lot of hard work, took a lot of sacrifice, um, and, and, and some interesting things came out of that. Number one, God has truly provided. And it, it, it was a, we were able to do this goal that we had. Or at least we're a year away from it. Um, I, think I get a big raise next May. That's why, um, and so uh, the deeper level is what we, what we felt God whispering to us is, do you, do you trust me? 
to do this, even if it's not magical, even if it's not miraculous, even if it's not instant how you would like it to be, are you willing to trust me even if it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of sacrifice, um, a lot of time? Are you willing to trust us? And he spoke to us in a redemptive way that God is bigger than human systems. He's bigger than financial aid. He's bigger than all of those structures that we look to um, for our provision. He's bigger than all of those things. And it's really opened our faith um, to trust him in greater ways. The next one is the story of Tabitha. Many of you heard this in Acts 9. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated is Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lida was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lida, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with, Peter went with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood, widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa. Yeah, I would say so. And many people believed in the Lord. Now, obvious, on a practical level, dead comes back to life. Um, Amazing. On a deeper level, I wonder if there are things in our life that feel like they're dead. Are they? Have we given up on them? Have we... Uh, let go of them. Something that needs a different kind of touch. It needs a different kind of breath of God. Um, But it feels like it's died. I think even on a redemptive level, um, have we, how easily do we give up on things? How easily do we give up on things, once again, that look dead, that may not be dead? And even is God possibly allowing sometimes things to look like they're dead because we've felt like, look at what I have done. Look at how I've run my life and, and, and made good things happen. And we think somehow sometimes it's too much of us. And he knows that that isn't going to be a strong foundation for us, that we ultimately, depending on ourselves, will ultimately fail. And so he even allows things to look like they're dead. Um, so that we might let go of them and put them back in his hands to be able to trust him. So I wonder, is there something in your life that you've walked away from, that you felt like it was inspired and and God breathed into, but you've given up on it? Now, I've... I've got a whole bunch of these where we could be here all day, and I know you don't want to be here all day. So um, just summarize the next couple just, just for time. Remember the story of Lazarus. You remember... Jesus' friend, Mary and Martha's brother, and he dies, and they send a message to Jesus, and for some reason, he doesn't, he doesn't hurry, and Lazarus dies, and um, he comes, and we know the story that ultimately Lazarus is raised from the dead, but on a practical level, sometimes we think that the, the miracle is or the, the thing where God actually shows up is just in him coming out of the grave. 
I want to suggest that healing actually started when the shortest verse in scripture, Jesus wept. He knew what was going to happen, and yet he was standing there with them, and without going through all the explanation of what they said, you know the story, he wept with them. I believe he knew, knew at that point that they had lost their brother. There was no words that you could say. And so he validated their feelings and he wept with them. I believe that was the beginning of the practical healing touch that happened. Most of the time in those situations, words don't help at all. But he wept with them. Of course, we know that ultimately that Lazarus was brought, brought back to life um, again. But I think deeper meanings, redemptive meanings might be something about timing. I don't know about you, but I, I like to kind of plan my life and have things you know, work out a certain way. And what God has spoken to me in this is, do you trust my timing? Do you trust the way that I want to do a thing? Um, when it looks like the timing is not going right, uh, something should have happened here before, it, before now, do we still trust him? Are we willing to follow that path? Um, the last one is, is uh, I call it the boy who gave his lunch away. Um, our kids, we used to listen to these little Bible tapes. Uh, and there was one called The Boy Who Gave His Lunch Away. I could probably quote it word for word um, on this little tape. Uh, but the feeding of the 5,000, we've got, you know, the, you know the story. And this little boy gives his lunch up and, and to feed 5,000 people. And, and certainly on a practical level, the people get fed. The little boy feels like that his lunch actually does something. But there's deeper levels here. It's, it's again, um, we, do, we, do we believe that what we have to offer is something of significance? Or do we think it's just a crummy little lunch? That how could God possibly use this? How could he use my gift or what I, you know, my qualities? They just, they seem to pale compared to others that I, that I see. Um, do we trust that he uses ordinary people in these um, unordinary ways, these significant ways? Or, are uh, we willing to, instead of looking at the circumstances in our life, look at the one who, one who changes the circumstances? And so, so we could continue on with these. But the final thought here, and to bring it back on a personal level, um, Janice and I, for the last uh, 13 months, have been dealing with uh, a physical issue in her. Well, she's been the one dealing with it. I just am along for the ride. But she has had these pancreatitis attacks. Um, significant things, and the pancreas is a fairly important, one of those vital organs, and she has these attacks that just absolutely cripple, double her over, and, and they've, they've looked at them for 13 months now, and they've done studies and tests, and they've run everything that they know to run, and, and uh, they, up to now, they haven't been able to figure out what's going on. They, the first question she's always asked is, are you a heavy drinker? Because uh, it always happens with, oftentimes with alcoholics. And I jump in and go, no, no, I'm telling you. I've been married to her for 37 years. And this woman's sipped on a few glasses of champagne at weddings. And I said, you know, it's, it can't be that. And so they've looked and they've looked and they've studied things over and over and over again. And, and just what a woman wants to be told is that every, every other thing that they look at, they say, you're as healthy as a horse. Um, isn't that what you all women want to hear? Um, 
and accept in this one area. And uh, within the last month, they think they've found something. She's had four of these episodes where all they can do is put her in the hospital and put her on fluids for, for a week. And, and uh, it kind of finally slowly comes out of it. And, and so we had this treatment uh, this last Thursday. They, they finally f- believe they found out what was causing this. And they were, did this surgery and, and came out of the surgery. And it was uh, doctors all smiles. Think we, we think we found it. It's looking good. But he did say, but you got to know that, that oftentimes one of the things that happens in this surgery is that it actually causes a, another pancreatitis episode. And so we went home feeling good and thinking that we're not going to have that. And then that night it hits her again. Uh, we're back in the hospital and, and that's where I just came from. She's still there. And uh, so if some stuff that I've said so far has made absolutely no sense, uh, it's because I've been sleeping on hospital bed. And, um, you know, they wake you up every couple of minutes. And so, um, but, um, so she's still in this. And they said, we think she'll come out of this. We really think that this is going to fix this. And so it's impacted us on several levels. First of all, I can't tell you how impressed we've been in 13 months of just men and women that have been gifted by God to, um, to care for people in the medical community. I mean, we're trying out all the hospitals in town. We've been at all of them. And uh, we're just amazed. I'm telling you, absolutely amazed. And some of the stuff, some of the studies and some of all the stuff that they've done 15 years ago couldn't have happened. Um, they would have never known what was going on in her, and who knows whether, uh, you know, what would have happened. And so, so we've seen this just incredible um, benefit. We do believe that this this is going to come out, and treatment's going to be good. Um, but on a deeper level, one of the things that they've told us is that, which is not exactly what you want to hear. Uh, it sounds like a high number to me, but they said 25% of these. We never know. It just keeps happening, and you never know what caused it. And so the, 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 what we, the voice of God that we've heard in that is, are you, can you trust me, even though you're trying to look at all the ways that, that healing happens? Many of you have been praying, and we are so thankful for that, and we f- have felt your prayers. And, but, you know, this side of heaven, there's, there's no guarantees in this. And so can you trust me? Even if they don't ever figure this out, it stretched us. On a redemptive level, oh my gosh, over the last 13 months, I'm telling you, we have felt the presence of God in the midst of this um, in greater ways than we've ever felt before. And we don't yet have the answer. It's not yet okay. But we felt him step into it, step into the question, the, the whys, the is this going to happen again, some of the fears, and be so alive and so strong. Um, it's, it's, it's been wonderful. And we've had to look at each other. And I tell you what, we have learned how to stop and smell the roses better in the last 13 months. Been married 37 years. We anticipate we're going to have another 37. We're going to try to see how many 37s we can put back to back. And, uh, but again, this side of heaven, there's no guarantees in that. And so are we stopping and enjoying the moment? Are we just... Are we just living ahead and getting ahead of ourselves? And so it has really, it's really changed how we do life together. So, so what about your story today? What's happening in your story? Or maybe how you're interacting with some of these bigger stories that we just don't know what's going to happen in our culture. What, what are you listening for? What are you listening um, to? What are you hearing? 
What, what kingdom's voice um, are you holding on to? And then we have this other voice that we have actually gotten so used to because we've heard it so often that it just feels like it's true and it feels like it's, it's just natural for that voice to always be there. And we've believed a lot of what this voice says, which is the voice of the enemy, which is always telling us that you're not okay, you're not enough, or maybe you're too much for people, um, or it's not going to be okay, or you know, God doesn't really get involved in this kind of stuff. You know, just, you're just going to have to deal with what you've got right now. God doesn't really care that much. I mean, he cares, but he's not involved on this level. That voice, I think about those stories. I think about the blind guy. You knew there had to be a voice there that said, you're going to ask to be healed? You're a sinner. You're a, you're a son of sinners. Why? Don't open up and go, go to Jesus. He's just going to expose you and tell you how sinful you are. Or that woman that had the issue of blood, you're, you're unclean. You're just going to embarrass yourself. You can see the shame that she had felt. You're just going to embarrass yourself. You're going to be pointed out as unclean and unacceptable. Um, or Mary and Martha, before, before Lazarus was resurrected, for, um, why are you following this guy? Of anybody on the planet... If he was going to heal anybody on the planet, it should be you. You're like his best friends. So you can't count on him. What are you doing? Or the little boy. Nobody wants your crummy lunch. Um, and if you give up your lunch, what are you going to eat? It's a long, it's a long way home. What are, you, what are you thinking? And so, again, what, what voice, what perspective do you have today um, in the midst of your story? Are we listening to the kingdom of man's voice? Are we just listening to the, to the, the mantras of, of culture right now that just build fear and cause us to go crazy? Are we listening to the voice of the enemy and just settling into that that must be true? Are we listening to the voice of the kingdom of God um, as he puts a whole different perspective on every situation that we face? Final thought I want to leave with you. Romans 8. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Stand to your feet this morning. God, thank you that you step in to our stories where we're at. Thank you that, that we do see things in the, in the immediate. Things that actually, in our current circumstances, that sometimes just turn around. 
But thank you that when they don't, it doesn't mean that you are not powerful, that you are not paying attention. It doesn't mean that we, that we anything about us, that we are, must not be good enough or must not be loved enough to be able to receive from you. Help us to get right perspective today and understand that even though we won't be able to get everything clear, that we can count on you. We can count on you and your love, your faithfulness. It, is, it will endure forever. It is the same today as it was yesterday. It's going to be the same tomorrow. And so, Lord, as we gain perspective today about you and your word, help us, help those circumstances of our life to start recalibrating so that we can put ourselves under and feel the covering of the kingdom of God. We trust you for that. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.